You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbeck. Here below. Y'all having a good time? Amen. Amen. Well, I uh, am just so excited to see you this morning, and God is moving in our church. Next service, we baptize nine, and so God is moving in our church, and we're thankful for that. Take your copy of God's inerrant and infallible word and turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. We are in a series called Awesome God, and today we're going to be looking at our eternal God who has no beginning and has no end. So let's stand as we read God's Word yet one more time as we get our Baptist aerobics. Psalm 90, verse number 1. The Holy Spirit says today through Moses, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your, pardon me, I'm supposed to skip down. Verse 12. So teach us to number, it's such a good psalm, amen. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. You may be seated. How many of you live your life in a hurry? Uh, The great theological group Alabama wrote a song that says, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush and say life's no fun. All I have to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. In our American culture, we live probably faster than anywhere else in the world. Uh, But yet, as I've traveled the the world, I've seen that the world has sped up to a frantic pace. Everyone uh, wants and demands things to be fast. We want fast food. We want fast driving lanes, and we want our deliveries to be at our doorstep in no more than two days from Amazon. Uh, For the type A's in the room, and can I get a witness on you type A's, many of us struggle with something that psychologists call hurry sickness. Uh, Just to see how sick you are, let me give you some symptoms. Uh, One symptom of hurry sickness is moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter and faster. (laughs) Second, another uh, form of hurry sickness, counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the lane that has the least number of cars or is going the fastest. Three, multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Four, high irritability when you encounter a delay. Five, restlessness. You cannot slow down or relax, constantly doing something. You watch TV, get on Facebook while you're folding laundry at the same time. John Mark Comer, in his book that I've recently read, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, said that hurry is a form of violence on the soul and is a great enemy of our spiritual lives. 
The reason why many of us are in a hurry is not just because that's our personality. There is a deeper spiritual issue. And I've in thinking about this this week, I think that for many of us, hurry is often because we're either searching for or running from something or someone. Well, we're in Psalm 90, and Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm. It is considered ancient wisdom. Uh, It is written by Moses, the man of God, and uh, we don't necessarily know the context of this particular psalm. Most scholars believe that it was written by Moses when he was very old. But yet this psalm teaches us about God's eternality, and as we've been studying this summer about the incommunicable attributes of God, these are attributes that make God uniquely God and shows that we are unlike God, and God is unlike us. He's utterly unique. And so this psalm is a worship song. And in this psalm, the psalmist here, Moses, is contrasting our faithful God with our finite earthly lives. And it's the goal of this psalm is to give us proper perspective. And so what we learn from this psalm is this. And this is what the sermon is going to be. Here's what it is. God is older than we can imagine. Our lives are shorter than we think. But God is in time, on time, every time we need him. And I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's continue. Number one, some of you said amen on that. Number one, God is older than we can imagine. Verse one, Lord, uh, you have been our dwelling place or our refuge in all generations. Here Moses is thinking through his life and thinking through the history of humanity. And he says, Lord, you have always been there for us from Adam to today. You have been a constant, faithful, dependable shelter, refuge, protector, provider, security, and comforter ever since time began. Moses is in awe of God's generational faithfulness. He thinks of how God has been so faithful through the centuries and millennia. And and here's why it's so important, because God's faithfulness in the past is what gives Moses hope and trust for the present and the future. And so in verse number two, he says, before the mountains were were brought forth or you have ever formed the world or the earth, uh, here Moses here is reflecting. You remember, this is the dude that wrote Genesis 1. And he is reflecting all through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God told him how that God stood on the platform of nothing and created everything and brought it into existence. And so here in his mind, he says, God, as I'm thinking about all the things that you've revealed to me, that before creation, before there was any mountains, before there was any matter, God, you mattered. And he says, from everlasting to everlasting, A.W. Tozer says, from vanishing point to vanishing point, you are God. God never began to exist, and he will never cease to exist. He has no beginning and he has no end. And he is without succession or without measure. Now God, as in Scripture, is revealed as eternal. The name that, that uh, Abraham gave him, El Olam, in Genesis 21-33. The everlasting God, also found as we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 40. He is the high and holy one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah 57-15. He is, according to Paul, the immortal God in Romans 1-23. And also, according to Paul, he is our eternal king, 1 Timothy 1-17. And according to the revelator John, he who is and was and is to come the alpha and the the alpha and the omega that is who he is and last week we looked at god's aseity his self-existence that he is without cause 
Today we look at God's timelessness, His atemporality. That is, that God is not limited by time. Moses understood this. When God and Moses met for the first time in that burning bush experience in Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus 3, God revealed himself in a burning bush, and Moses says, what is your name? We need to know your name. And he says, I am is my name. I am who I am. And in that moment, God was saying to Moses, there never will be a time that I was not, there never was a time that I was not, and there never will be a time that I will not be. I am God. And so, in thinking about that, God lives in what scholars call the eternal presence. I want to give you an illustration here, a diagram here of what that looks like, that you have God who, if you imagine the line at the bottom is time and you see the infinity signs, which is to eternity, eternity past, eternity present, God lives above time but also can enter into time. So God is the one who created time, stands above time, yet can enter into time. He sees the end from the beginning at the same time. Do you note that? God is simultaneously the God of the past, the God of the present, and the God of the future, bending time to his perfect will and unfettered by time's constraints. So Jen Wilkins, in her book, None Like Him, she says this, the past holds for him no missed opportunities. The present holds for him no anxiety, and the future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. So God is older than you think, than you can imagine. But number two, your life is shorter than you think. Verse three, you return man to dust. Again, Moses writing Genesis 3 and thinking about the fall of humanity. Moses is now comparing the eternality of God with the brevity of our humanity. Unlike God, we are not everlasting. Our life on earth is just as the great songwriter said, dust in the wind. We are biodegradable containers. So you are recyclable. We are born with limitations because we're not God. We are mortal. He's immortal. We are finite. He is infinite. So in verse number four, he says that a thousand years in your sight is as but yesterday. That time as it constrains us does not constrain him. And there's a, a guy I heard once that thought about, read this verse and thought about that. And he says, you know what, God, you're so big, you're so awesome, you're so eternal, that I bet with you that one second is like a million years. God, you're so eternal. And then he got to thinking a little bit more, and he says, you know what, God, I bet one penny is like a million dollars. And so he begins to get spiritual, and he starts praying. And he says, oh, Lord, would you please just give me a penny? And the Lord said, yes, in a second. <laughs> that one had to trickle in. That one, that, that'll be interesting to see how 11 o'clock does with that. Anyway, no one has ever lived on earth for a thousand years. Yet God, to God, a thousand years is like yesterday. Like a watch in the night, that's four hours, or a wave on the ocean, or a dream, or grass that springs up and dies, especially in my yard. 
As I think about that, we, uh, my, my, my mom uh, a few months ago bought our kids a hydroponic planter for our kids to grow uh, tomatoes uh, from seed. And so we grew them and we transplanted them into five-gallon buckets and we put it, good potting soil there. And for a, a few weeks, we actually got some tomatoes. And uh, we were gone for a week or so. We were in Nashville for the Southern Baptist Convention. We came back and the tomato plants had deceased. They died. Like they were dead. Like dead, dead. They didn't last long. And so, now the kids want a dog. And so, pray for us. But what I'm trying to say here is that life is short. And the question you may ask is, why are we short timers? Why is it? Well, verses 7 and 8 tells us, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your presence. That in the presence of God, God cannot stand sinners. Uh, He hates sin. He hates evil. And we are sinners living in a fallen, broken world. And because of sin, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's appointed to man once to die. We tried to be like God but became even more like God. And so the reason why life is short isn't because God is mean or evil, but because God is just and holy. And in his justness and in his holiness, he has to deal with sin. And when God says something, it happens. And God says, the day that you sin, you will surely die. And we are all from Adam, and in Adam all die. But the good news is, just as God keeps his promise that in Adam all die, he also keeps the promise that in Jesus all live. And so, we're short timers because of that. So, verse number nine, you all are cheery this morning. You don't get my jokes, but you really have a good time. Verse number 9, he says, Our days passed under your wrath, and the years of our life, now verse number 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. So if you're 70 or 80, this verse is chilling right now. (laughs) If you're over 80, you know you're on borrowed time, right? And you must be really strong. The older you get, the more you start tracking time. Medieval scholars actually used to place a real human skull in their studies to remind them of the brevity of life. So Moses here is teaching us that all humanity is restricted by time. We all live in a succession of moments. So for me, my typical day is I get up at 5, 5.30, I go to work, I get here by 7 o'clock, I eat lunch at 11.30 because you beat the crowds. I get home about 4 o'clock, I go to bed about 10 o'clock, and that's how my day goes every day. You may have a different life, but that's how I live my life. And we all have to live from one moment to another moment. We are time-bound creatures. We live in time. We are bound to time. And ultimately, we're formed by time. Time, here's the interesting thing. Time is the only resource that everyone gets equivalently each week. So last week, if you're still alive, we all got seven days. We all got 168 hours, we all got 10,800 minutes, and we all got 604,800 seconds. Everybody. Now, we don't know how many we're going to get this week, but that's what we got last week. And it's given out equally. Nobody gets more of it, nobody gets less of it. You know, there's some things that people may get others are are better than. You know, some people are just better looking than others, and that's a burden that some of us have to bear. Uh, Some of us um, have more money than us. Some of us have more talent than us. Some of us have more opportunity than us. But time is the one thing that's equivalent. And being a time-bound, limited creature, we cannot see, read, watch, taste, experience, be, and do everything. Right? Our lives 
is a series, our life is a series of choices. Every yes is a thousand no's. Every activity you give your time to is a thousand other activities you can't give your time to. Those of you that are parents, one of the things that we do in our children's ministry, often when uh, children are born and we have baby dedications, one of the things that Mary does is they, she gives them marbles, and each marble represents a week in the life of the child. And each week you see how it gets less and less. And here's the thing I've learned as a parent is I'm seeing my kids grow up. The days are long, but the years go by quickly. Dick Beals, if you're watching, I know that we're praying for you, brother, but... Um, You've told me ever since day one, cherish your children because they grow up. And that's the truth here, right? So in verse number 12, Moses says, in light of this, in light of this, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. God, in light of your eternity, teach us about our brevity and how we should make the most of our time. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so, if numbering our days gives us a heart of wisdom, then not numbering your days gives you a heart of foolishness. Now, here's the thing. The world does not want you to number your days. The world says, don't think about death, don't think about the end, get younger, get insurance, get in shape, take pills, take vitamin C, have surgery, you don't have to be sick, you don't have to have wrinkles, and you don't have to die. But God says that's foolishness. So what does it mean to number our days? Well, I, I've read a book, and I've referenced it quite a bit, uh, None Like Him by Jen Wilkins, and I'm taking part of what she says in the chapter on God is eternal, and here's some things that she gives and some things that I've added to it to help us think through how we should number our days. Number one, don't live in yesterday. How many of us romanticize the past? We idolize the time when we were better, when things were better and things were simpler. How many of us focus on the good old days or the glory days in the past? And here's what happens. If you live romanticizing the past, you may live with discontent in the present. It's okay to miss the past, but it's not okay to be obsessed with the past. But they also regret. When you dwell on past mistakes, when you dwell on past sins, past hurts, when you do that, when you always think of those things, it's the woulda, couldas, and shouldas of life. And when you do that, you rob yourself of the joy that God wants to give you in the present. Now, see, there's a lot of people in their past that live in their past, a lot of people that live in their past, and the problem is it's in the past. I don't care how good-looking you were in high school. I don't care how many, how many touchdowns you threw or you tell others that you threw, but you didn't really throw you can try to relive your glory days, but it's not really good. And here's the thing. With churches and with, and with lives, especially with churches, how many churches say, you know, back in the good old days? How many of people say, you know, back in the good old days? And here's what I wrote this week, and I think it's, it's appropriate to me. What if the good old days are today, but you're missing out on them because you can't get past your past? Moses says, number your days. Lord, teach me to number my days. Don't live in yesterday, but secondly, don't live for tomorrow. There's this anticipation, this sinful anticipation that we can constantly live for what is next. You may not live in the past. You may all be living in the future, and you might be wishing your life away. Middle schoolers want to be in high school, and they want to drive a car. Okay? High schoolers want to be out of the house and in college. Single people want to get married. Young parents cannot wait for their kids to get out of diapers. 
older parents cannot wait for their kids to get out of the house. And it's always the next stage, the next stage, the next stage, and you never enjoy where you are. But not only anticipation, but anxiety. You live in constant fear, worry, and dread of the future over its uncertainties and potentialities. You fantasize about the worst-case scenarios. And you constantly think about the future, and you never live in the present. Listen, those who constantly live for the future cannot enjoy the moment. I really want to commend John Mark Comer's book to you, The the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Because this is something I got really convicted on. That for me, I was just living for the next moment, the next moment, the next moment. Uh, Tim Glover, in his book, Relentless, uh, tells a story about Michael Jordan. And in this uh, this story, after Michael Jordan won his first NBA championship, uh, as soon as everything was over, all the hoopla was over, he stands out there and holds up two fingers. And he wasn't saying peace, y'all. It represented something. I want to win two championships. After he won his second championship, you know what he did? Three. After his third, four. After his fourth, five. After his next one, another finger. (laughs) Six. And then all the way, seven. And what I'm trying to tell you is he never enjoyed the championship in the moment. I want to be very slow right now. We need to enjoy the moment we have right now. You're in the house of God, hearing the word of God, singing the praises of God to the glory of God with the people of God. Stop living your life for what is next and live for today. Live in today. Last is live fully, and now I've even stole the thunder for that, but live fully each and every day. What does it mean to number your days? One, don't be lazy. Laziness can rob that. When you fail to recognize your limited time, you believe that there will always be more time to get around to things. Some of you old-timers, you remember the round to it? A few years ago, a guy came to me, and he brought me around to it. You ever been? You ever said that, I'm going to get around to it? We procrastinate. We miss deadlines. We make up excuses. Jen Wilkins says that laziness believes that that the time God has given us is not precious. Let me say that again. Laziness believes that the time God has given us is not precious. But not only laziness, but busyness. When we believe that there's always enough time of the day to manage everything, or when we constantly add activity or responsibilities to our lives, we overcommit and get exhausted, and we get distracted by nonstop distraction. Corey Tim Boone said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Busyness believes that God has not given us enough time. But think about this. The truth is, if God gave you 10 extra hours a day, you know what you would do? You would fill it with more stuff to do. You would be even more tired, more burned out, emotionally frayed, and spiritually at risk than you are right now. God gave us limits for a reason. So Moses says here, Lord, go back to the verse if you don't mind, verse 12. He says, Lord, Teach us. When he says that, he says, Lord, you know better than me. Teach me to do what? To number my days. Why? Because life is short. John Ortberg said something that I think was very profound. He said, for many of us, the danger is not that we will renounce our faith. 
is that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. And we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Moses says, Lord, teach us, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. Let's go to the third point. And that is this. It's that God is in time, on time, every time you need him. In light of God's eternality and the brevity of our lives, as you think about this, as we ponder this, there's a question that may be coming to your mind, and that is this. God, if you are not bound by time, but I am bound by time, then it really doesn't matter, right? Because, if, listen, if you're waiting on somebody that time is not an issue with them. Have you ever waited on somebody and you're in a hurry? And, like, they're just time, like, they got all day and you got, like, two minutes? And sometimes with God, if we're hearing the sermon correctly, my life is short. God doesn't, like, he's got time. He created time. He can just make more time. And so, God, if you're not bound by time, but I'm bound by time, then, then when are you going to do what you promised you're going to do? Or if time doesn't matter to you, God, but it matters to me, how much longer is this going to be? Listen, the issue in my life and probably in a lot of your lives, I'm in a hurry, but God's not. So in verse number 13, Moses says, return, O Lord, how long? This word, how long, is the painful, frequent cry of the human experience. Some of you have been crying that out this week. How long, O Lord? This is the cry of the Bible. This is the cry of the Old Testament saints. Over 20 times in the Psalms, that phrase, how long, is there. The, the phrase, how long, is the cry of the church as we wait for our coming king to return. How long? Almost anything can be endured if you know there's an end. Sermons can be endured. Car rides can be endured. Workouts can be endured. Sickness can be endured if you know there's an end. But when you don't know when it will end, it is a harbinger for hopelessness. How long? Moses says, have pity. Have compassion on your servants. As you read the remaining verses here, Moses is pleading with God, oh Lord, satisfy us in the morning. God, make us glad all the days that we have suffered. Let your work be shown to us. Let your favor be on us. Do something to save us and let our lives matter. That's what he says at the last verses. He, he says in the last verses, uh, he says, establish the work of our hands. Our time is short and we want what we do to matter for eternity. So use us, God. Have you ever been to that place with God where you were desperate for answers? Have you ever been to that place where you were desperate for a solution, desperate for help, thinking that either God is, is late or he doesn't care? In verse 14, the psalmist says here, satisfy us with your hesed love, his covenant love, steadfast love. It's never ending, never failing. Love. Moses is saying, God, give me peace and grace that I need to trust you. I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm going to trust you with it. I may not understand your timing, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to do everything, and it's going to work out right on time. How can we trust that God's on time? 
How can we trust that God will be at the right time? And how can we trust that he'll do it every time? Who's writing this psalm? Moses, the man of God. Moses, the man of God, was called by God to deliver the people of God from slavery. You know how long they were in slavery? And we just celebrated Juneteenth, the day that on June the 19th, 1865, in Galveston, Texas, when the emancipated slaves who had been emancipated for years just found out the news. And they cried out for years, how long? Israel was slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And they cried out, how long? When God called Moses, Moses was almost 80 years old. But yet that was the time that he was ready to lead God's people. And God appeared to Moses out of the burning bush at the right time in Moses' life. With God, timing is everything. God had to deal with Moses and prepare Moses for the mission and the call in Moses' life. And so this is, a lot of scholars believe this is really Moses' conversion. That the eternal, holy, self-sufficient, self-existent, omnipotent, omniscient God appeared in real time to Moses. Sinclair Ferguson, with that great Scottish accent, said the fire was in the bush, present in the bush, but preserving the bush. The fire was not dependent on the bush for its energy to burn. It was a pure fire that was nothing but fire. It was not a compound of another energy source, but was a source to itself. And God says, I am who I am. My name is not I am who you want me to be. My name is I am who I am. Moses, it is not who you are. It is who I am. Because Moses, I am everything you are not. And the stunning thing of that story, if you remember that Bible story, maybe, you're, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of that story. But if you think about this story that Moses encounters a bush that was on fire that just was on fire but it didn't consume it. The stunning part in the story is not that the burning bush wasn't consumed. The stunning part of the story is that Moses wasn't consumed in the presence of God. He was not consumed by the holiness of God. And the reason why is because there was a mediator in the fire. And the mediator in the fire in Exodus 3, 2 was the angel of the Lord. The pre-incarnate Jesus. And that is why Moses worshipped. He worshipped the bush, not the bush, but the angel of the Lord in the bush. Mediating the presence of God. It's Jesus who says, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus, in that moment, gave access to the eternal God. He came at the right time. Centuries later, Jesus comes, not in a burning bush, but in a baby in Bethlehem. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. 
And Jesus, who is God, who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, who lived above time, was not bound by time or limited by time, entered into our time at the right time to save us from ourselves and our sins and to one day take us into eternity with Him. So let me end with this. It's about all I can handle. God lives in the eternal presence, present. And so what that means is he created time, he lives above time, but yet is present in time. So here's what that means. That God has been in all of your yesterdays. And God has already been in all of your tomorrows. And what he wants from you is to trust him today. So instead of worrying or hurrying in your life, just trust him with it all today. Have you ever had a word from the Lord? I want to be careful with that, but this past Sunday, my wife and I went and had uh, dinner with our great neighbors, uh, uh, Luis and Yaseli uh, Santiago. And there are neighbors that come to our church here when they're in town. And um, we were just out eating with them and hanging out with them. And we just started telling about God's faithfulness in our lives. And he began to just out of the blue tell me a story of a very horrible time in his life. And uh, it was, had to do with his kids. And, and he was concerned. And he was doing everything he could to fix the situation. He was trying to, he was calling all the time his people to, to work on it, to work on it, to work on it. And he was at his wits end. Have you ever been there? And so he just came to church. He came to his church in Puerto Rico. And he was just there just kneeling and praying. And he said all of a sudden, this person that he knew came to him. That person didn't know his whole situation. And, and, and again, I want to say this all with, with carefulness, but didn't know his situation. Came to him and just said, hey, saw you praying. And I feel like God wants me to share something with you. And so here's what she says. She said, Luis, take your hands off of it and trust God with it. He said that in that moment, that was a word for me. Now, listen, we try everything by the word of God, okay? So nobody just gets some word and it just, we try it by the word of God, okay? But what Luis said, he says, that was a word for me. And then from that moment on, I stopped trying to fix my situation. I stopped calling. I just started praying. And I trusted God with my future. And he says, it took some time, but God moved in his time. And it went exactly how God wanted it to go. And it was the best thing that could ever happen. Now, here's what I want you to hear. I'm not telling you that if you trust God, that means that everything you ever want is going to happen how you want it, when you want it. I'm not telling you that. But here's what I am going to tell you, is that everything is going to happen how God wants it to happen, and that's the best thing. So listen, I'm in with this. You and I don't have to live our lives in a hurry, but we can trust the one who is never in a hurry, who is always in time, on time, every time. But here's the question. Here's the question. Hold on. Will you take your hands off your life and trust him with it? Will you do that this morning? For some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus. For some of you, you need to fully surrender. 
God doesn't want your sacrifice or your obedience. He wants your surrender. And when he gets your surrender, he'll get your sacrifice and obedience. So maybe today you need to trust Jesus. Maybe today you're struggling with something and you're waiting on God and you're saying, oh, Lord, how long? He will satisfy you in the morning with his love. Look to him alone. Trust in him. So whatever your needs are, I want to say everybody that bow your heads right now. If you're watching online, bow your heads with us. And if you're in this room tonight, this morning, or you're watching online, and you just need to cry out to Jesus, just cry out to him. Just where you are, I'm going to pray in a moment, just cry. And you know, a way to take your hands off is maybe you need to raise your hands up. Just if you need to now, just raise your hands up to God. Give him what you need. Give him all. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those in this room that are lifting their hands in this room. And maybe they're not lifting their hands, but they're lifting their hearts. That, Father, you would help them to understand that you are in time, on time, every time. Help us to number our days, O Lord. And, Father, whoever is in this room or watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I, number one, I pray you make them so miserable so that they will, cannot do anything but trust you as their Savior. But, Lord, maybe this moment would be that moment, that they would pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've been living for myself. But I believe that Jesus, you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead. And today I surrender my life to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins and that you save me, Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for anyone who prays a prayer like that today to be public and bold through the means necessary to let us know how we can pray for them. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.